0: So let's uh, continue this penultimate vital sign like this with this next slide. Please, Chris, that would be great. So question to you is, what have things like exercise and food and sex and illness and things got to do with healthy Christianity? It doesn't sound very spiritual. This whole vital sign series is about indications that tell us how our spiritual hearts are doing. Or to put it a different way, things that are signs of healthy Christianity. And I want to put it to you that just as there are all kinds of vital signs, literally, of our physical health, there are, actually our physical health is a vital sign in and of itself of our spiritual health. Our physical health is a vital sign of our spiritual health. How we perceive our bodies, how we treat our bodies, how we perceive and treat other bodies is a pretty reasonable indicator of what's happening in here, of what we really believe about people, about God, I want to put it to you that one of the marks of healthy Christianity is having a healthy view of the human body, your body in particular. And things like the food we put in our body, or the exercise that our body takes, or the way we express our sexuality, or how we deal with illness and sickness, they are good indicators of what it means to have a healthy uh, heart as a Christian. And I'm aware that some of these things are quite sensitive, some of these things might be the most sensitive things for you at the moment. When I mention things like food or exercise or sickness or sex and so on, so I want to be really sensitive to that. But I'm confident the Bible has got some great things to say that's really gonna help us have a healthy attitude towards our bodies and move forwards in healthy Christianity. So let's trust that God's gonna speak this morning, even if some of these things already you are thinking, ooh, didn't bargain on this this morning. So three things I wanna put to you. The body is not nothing, The body is not everything, and the body is a gift. The body is not nothing, it's not everything, the body is a gift. Number one, the body is not nothing. What do I mean by that? Well, in the ancient world, the time of the New Testament, for example, there was a prevalent philosophy called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism uh, essentially said at that time, that the body kind of counts for nothing. That really, uh, life is all about the spiritual, and that the physical should be ignored or repressed. That kind of spiritual satisfaction comes from kind of detaching from the physical world. That was the basic Gnostic view. And, and that kind of tried to infiltrate the church view a little bit at the time. And in truth, over the last 20 centuries, that kind of view has occasionally made itself present in the life of the church. Christians and in fact, lots of other religions really, have sometimes, I think, given the impression that the body is almost inherently sinful in itself, that maybe things like eating, drinking, sex, physical rest, play, work, are are kind of almost in and of themselves wrong, or at least that they're kind of neutral or or like second-class activities. They have kind of nothing to do with the, the serious spiritual business of faith. That's occasionally been, I think, an impression given. But I I guess just first of all instinctively we know that not really to be true. We know that our bodies have are not nothing. We know they have enormous power for example. A physical kiss can can, can convey great passion and attraction. A hug conveys incredible commitment and comfort. A stroke of a pencil on a canvas can convey great imagination and creativity. A dance can move and inspire like nothing else. A sprint on a track can thrill and exercise. The the human body is not nothing. It has enormous power and significance in many ways. And Christianity tells us that that God meant for the body to have profound uh, power. He meant for it to be inextricably connected to mind and soul and spirit. Right at the beginning of creation, at the point at which um, God brings human life into existence in whatever way, in whatever time scale he did that, humans are given physical bodies. So before the fall... Before uh, sinful human choices fracture our relationship with God and fracture our relationship with each other and indeed our relationship with our bodies, before that, God gives Adam and Eve a physical body. And, unlike any of us, it's perfect. The human body is not a result of the fall. The fact that it works imperfectly is a result of the fall. The fact that it expires one day as a result of the fall the fact that perhaps we get in a tangle in terms of how we treat it is a result of the fall but the body itself is part of God's perfect rhythmical creation when God finished his work of creating mankind, the creation of mankind was the pinnacle of his work of creating and after all that work what did he say he said it is very good very good I wonder if that's how you regard your Body this morning. Very good. David, who didn't have by any means a perfect body, aged and struggled and suffered, but he was able to say in Psalm 139, verse 13, he said to God, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And then later in the New Testament, The Apostle Paul writes to Christians in Rome, and he says in Romans chapter 12, verse one, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So no distinction between the spiritual things and the physical things. Your body is a spiritual thing, Paul says. So the body is not nothing, anything but. Number two, the body is not everything, body is not everything. I guess, for, probably for many people, that might be more of a bigger challenge. The challenge of, might be less about seeing the body as nothing and more about seeing it as more towards everything. So just a, yeah, you know, this is not new to you. You'll be aware this is all over our culture and media, isn't it? But just a few things. Ladies, I'm told the average London woman spends £2,700 a year on makeup. I don't know what your budget looks like. Should be monitoring my wife's carefully from now on. In in January of last year alone, in that one month, as a nation, we spent £2.8 billion on the kind of post Christmas join gym get healthy thing. 2.8 billion, a lot of money. And you have to uh, turn TV on for a brief few moments or hours, and you'll see programs like How to Look Good Naked and Extreme Makeover and Embarrassing Bodies. It's everywhere. Now listen, I'm not having a crack at wearing makeup or going to the gym or trying to eat healthily or or lose weight and so forth. In many ways, we're really fortunate to live at a time when we know more than we've ever done before, don't we? About how to look after and steward the body that God's given us. But I do put it to you that for many of us, the challenge is not about making too little of our bodies and maybe about making too much towards the everything end of the spectrum. And again, you probably don't, don't need me to tell you, but there is a lot of evidence around, compelling evidence, about where, maybe the way in which many of us in our nation make our bodies like everything, or towards that end of the trajectory. All the evidence about increasing obesity levels, for examples. About increasing childhood body images. Children younger and younger and younger having challenges with their body image issues. Lots of data about the effect of of us being bombarded more and more and more with images that are increasingly unrealistic about what the perfect body is supposed to look like. More and more opportunities at the click of a button to feed our sexual appetites in a way that no culture has ever known before in history. The body and its appetites can kind of master us. They can become everything in some ways. But that's not new that's not a new thing to our culture. We might be maybe one of the more extreme ends of it, but it's not a new thing. Again, back in um, Jesus' day, just as you had Gnosticism as a philosophy saying that the body was kind of nothing, and you had to kind of quell it, and the spiritual was, was everything, there was another philosophy called Epicureanism, which basically said the opposite thing. Epicureans were all about the physical. They are uh, all about the here and the now, satisfy your pleasures. Uh, forget about the spiritual, they said. The spiritual is found in the here and the now and the physical and satisfy your appetites. And on several occasions in the Bible, Paul, the Apostle Paul addresses that kind of worldview, not least to um, the church in Corinth, because Corinth was all over that kind of worldview. Live for the moment, bodily pleasures, that was very much the kind of Corinthian uh, value. And what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 6 is he quotes a couple of the cultural sayings of the day. I've just lived for the moment. It could be one that we sometimes use, maybe. He quotes a couple of Corinthian sayings of the day. All things are lawful for me, was one such saying. And food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food was another such saying. And then he answers those cultural messages and says, yes, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, I'll not be enslaved by anything, he says. Meaning, I'm not going to make my body everything and give in to all its appetites, whether they be sexual or culinary. Or indeed, the appetite we have maybe for fitness and appearance, that bodily appetite... And on that note, one one verse in the Bible that's always helped me, especially when it comes to the temptation to make the body kind of everything when it comes to health and fitness and that kind of side of things. I love how the Bible is so practical. It speaks into the exact elements of our our life. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 4.8, writing to a young man, a young pastor called Timothy. He says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And as I was kind of praying about that verse, and I've looked at it many times over the years, as I've often faced the temptation to make kind of bodily fitness and sport and that kind of thing towards the everything end of the spectrum, I was thinking, I think Paul might say that verse to us in kind of two different ways. What I mean by that is this. If you lean more towards the not taking care of your body end of the spectrum, for whatever reason, maybe you just find it hard or a bit lazy or you don't think it's important or you're kind of all about the spiritual, then I think Paul would say it like this, bodily training is of some value. But if you would lean more towards the other end of the spectrum and making the body everything and thinking lots about what you eat and how you look and when you can get to the gym and so forth, then I think Paul would say it differently. He'd say bodily training is of some value. So are you someone who needs to hear God say through Paul, bodily training is of some value. Body is not nothing. It's a gift from God. Or are you someone who needs to hear God say through Paul, bodily training is of some value. It's not everything. Godliness is ultimate and eternal. See, the reality of the Bible And the teaching of the New Testament is that God doesn't see the body as something irrelevant. And neither does he see it as something that should be permitted to master us. It's neither nothing and it's neither everything to him. God sees it as a gift. He sees the body as a gift. Something that can help us to flourish. Something that can help us to pursue godliness. Something that can help us to honor him. Something that can help us to point others towards what he's like. God sees the, the body as a gift. Do you? See your body as a gift. Let me explain this like this. In my um, Bible readings this last few weeks I've been, been reading through the book of Exodus, the second book in the Old Testament and um, I've been reading like a chapter a day. That's how I do it, chapter a day and a, ch- and a psalm at the same time and I do something called soap Which means that I just have a little technique which I use, so S, scripture, O, observation, A, application, B, prayer. Just a helpful way of kind of spending each day to uh, learn in, learn on what what God is saying through the Bible. And um, the past couple of weeks, the bit in Exodus that I've been reading has been concerned with the construction of the tabernacle. Um, which on the face of it, chapter after chapter after chapter, is not necessarily the most gripping of scriptures, but it has been really, really helpful to me. So in Exodus, if you're new to the Bible, God has rescued his people from slavery, and he's leading them towards a home of their own, teaching them how to live, basically. And as an expression of his love and his commitment to them, God doesn't just instruct them, he wants to live with them and dwell amongst them. And the tabernacle was the thing that made that possible. It's basically a a tent, a portable temple, effectively. And in Exodus, you get chapter after chapter is devoted to describing God's specific requirements for how this portable temple tent thing, this tabernacle, should be made. Like chapter after chapter, it's exhaustive in its detail and exhausting to read in some ways. God gives the exact measurements. For the ark that contains the Ten Commandments, wooden box, wooden box, exactly the measurements that he wants it made with. He doesn't just say, stick a tent up, make it nice. He gives these incredibly detailed instructions. He tells them the type of wood that they should use for the, temp- for the table that holds the ceremonial bread. He tells them how many rings are required for the curtains to be hung in between the inner and outer parts of the tabernacle. He tells them the exact colours that the priest's garments should have on them. Incredible detail. And then he tells them how much precious metal and, and jewels they should use. He talks about the gold and the silver and the jewels and the fabrics they should use. And he weighs it out and he measures it out. And I'm reading chapter after chapter of this stuff. And somebody, who I suspected a bit too much time on their hands, wanted to work out how much, what were the contemporary value of the Old Testament tabernacle be now in today's money. Because there's all these measurements about the gold and the silver and the fabrics and so on. So like I say, someone maybe who's a bit short of things to do, spent time working out how much would the Exodus tabernacle cost in today's money. And they reckon it would cost around about 46 million pounds to construct the ex- Exodus tabernacle. It is no ordinary tent Some of you might have some fancy tents for Ashburnham. I don't know. There could be some luxury tents about to appear at Ashburnham. I doubt any of them come to a £46 million price tag. I hope they don't in some respects. God goes to great lengths, incredible lengths, to build a dwelling place that is suitable for his holy presence to dwell. And at the very end of Exodus... It simply says in chapter 40, verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. See, God cannot be casual about his presence, his glory. His holiness, it can't just casually exist alongside sin and and human brokenness. Even Moses couldn't enter the tabernacle. Moses, the leader of the people, friend of God. Only one priest could enter the innermost parts of the tabernacle. He'd need to be ceremonially cleansed himself before offering an animal sacrifice on behalf of the people's sin, a symbolic blood sacrifice. See, the tabernacle later on the temple, was an incredibly precious and carefully designed home to house the very presence and glory of God. A God who would not allow his glory to be um, stained or diminished. And at the same time, a God who loves people that he's created and called very good so much that he wants to find a way to dwell with them, be amongst them, draw them to himself and so as I've been doing soap each morning, scripture, observation application, prayer, I've just sensed God actually bringing to life a little bit of how he feels about our bodies because what Paul goes on to say in the Corinthian chapter that I mentioned to you before in 1 Corinthians 6 19, Paul says do you not know, speaking to Christians do you not know that your body is a temple a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He compares the tabernacle to your human body and says Jesus has paid a cost that means that that is possible. You see, the gospel, in some respects, could be described like this. Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven to live in a physical, fallible human body. In fact, in the most vulnerable of human bodies, a little baby. Jesus was the perfect priest in his adulthood, the perfect priest who entered the temple, the tabernacle on our behalf. He gave himself as the ultimate sacrifice to bring about our forgiveness and our freedom. And faith in him unites us to him and his achievements and then makes us clean and pure, and holy. See, the presence and glory of God, the gospel tells us, is no longer contained by a temple, by a man-made construction. The gospel tells us that God himself comes to live by his spirit within his church, and within a human body, the body of a Christian. A Christian's body is now a temple, a tabernacle, God says to all of us, you are so precious. 46 million pounds doesn't even come close to the preciousness that God feels about these very good humans that he's made. So he's prepared to pay the ultimate price in the body of Jesus himself to make your body clean, pure, holy, a fitting place for the very glory of God to dwell something that Moses would not even have been able to comprehend. Our bodies are anything but but nothing or irrelevant. They are a gift, a 46 million pound gift, a very costly gift, a cost that Jesus paid, in order that these precious, precious people, you might know what it is to dwell with God and have God dwell within you. So, how are you doing with the vital sign that is the physical, the body? Where are you on this one? Perhaps we could have this little diagram to help us apply this to ourselves. If there was a spectrum from treating the body as kind of almost nothing, towards treating it as everything, where would you be? Where would you mark yourself on that spectrum, I wonder? Where would you put yourself? If naught is nothing and 10 is everything, where would you currently mark yourself? And God would say to you, the body is not nothing. The body is not everything. The body is it's a gift. It's a gift from me. And he would want to draw you almost from wherever you are on that spectrum towards a new understanding or a refreshed understanding of the body as a gift. And the gospel helps us to get there. Me saying, now, don't you do this and do do that. That's not going to help us to get there but the gospel that tells us that God loved you so much that he would leave behind the splendor of heaven to inhabit a fallible human body, suffer in a human body, die in a human body, be raised to life in a new human body so that you could have a clean, holy, pure body in which God's presence would dwell and one day be given a brand new body to live with Jesus forever. I don't know about you, but that helps me to see it as a gift. It costs so much. It's so valuable to him. So let me just close with some more practical uh, questions to see how we can treat our bodies and other people's bodies as the gifts that they are. And I'm aware that some of these things are a little bit sensitive, but I'm just trying to help us because I love you. And my job is to help you as an outworking of that. So just some practical things. What about eating and drinking with the human body? Do you, here's some questions for you. You can scroll them down on your phones if, you, if that's helpful to you. Do you eat and drink with the mindset that your body is a gift to be stewarded for God's glory? Do you put food and drink into your body thankfully? With laughter. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thoughtfully. Do you do that? Is that how you put food into your body? Thankfully, thoughtfully, reverently? Do you, question, master your appetites or do your appetites master you? Listen, I'm aware there can be all kinds of reasons why people might eat too much or too little. It's very, very complex stuff and I haven't got time to get into the complexity of how food can be really, really challenging for us. What I will do in the Life Group Notes this week is try and recommend some resources that maybe can help us go a bit deeper with some of these things. Secondly, exercise. Do you exercise with a mindset of stewarding the gift of your body? to put it a different way. Which way is God putting the question to you from 1 Timothy 4? Would he say to you, bodily training is of some value? Don't neglect your body. It's not nothing. It's a precious gift. It can be used in all kinds of ways as a spiritual act of worship. Or would he say to you, bodily training is of... Some value. It's not everything. Godliness is far more profound. And finally, or well thirdly, sorry, sex. Again, I'm touching on profound issues that can go very deep. But the reality is what we do with our sexual appetites tells us an awful lot about the health of our heart. It tells us an awful lot about what we're believing, about God, about people, about ourselves. Do you see the body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, an incredibly costly gift that God's gone to great lengths to make pure, clean, holy, a fitting place for him to dwell? You see, let's just, just be blunt and honest about it. Sexual temptation, expressing sexuality in ways that are contrary to God's best for us, that's a real live issue for all of us in all kinds of ways. Men, women, married, single, dating. And again, I can tell you to do some things and tell you not to do some things, and that might go a certain way. But my experience is, I come back to the gospel, that's what changes my heart and helps me to desire the things of God. When I meditate on what it's taken, the love that he must have for this body of mine to make it clean and pure and holy enough for God to come and dwell in it, when I meditate on that, that helps me to want to use it in a way that pleases him and honors him. When you meditate on the gospel, what Jesus has done with his body for your body, then you can defeat. You can win the battles of pornography and masturbation and other other kinds of sexual temptation. Yes, I mentioned the M word. That's okay. We can deal with that. These are real life things. And it won't happen if we just try really hard, when the gospel melts your heart, when the love of Christ expressed in his body for your body melts your heart, then you want to use this body in a way that honors him, in a way that glorifies him, and in a way that is for your good, and for the person that you're dating is good, the person that you're married to is good, the people that you do community with is good. Finally, What about healing and sickness and illness? Because they're pretty real, live things as well. If the body is a precious gift, one, we're saying it is. If the resurrection tells us that God is now at work renewing and restoring a broken creation, two. And three, if signs and wonders, biblically, are supposed to accompany proclamation of the gospel, if those three things are true, then we're going we're to pray for healing, aren't we? We're going to take risks and step out to pray for people to be healed, to, to experience the resurrection life of God in their human bodies now. And We saw a little bit of that last week, didn't we, if you were here with us? Wonderful. We want to see more of it. Also, if God has given all kinds of gifts throughout humanity... If he's created every single person, whether they bow to him and love him or not in his image, then there'll be all kinds of aspects of his creativity and, and brilliance on display, not least in medicine and science, that those things bring healing as well. I want to acknowledge that. But if we don't experience, for want of a better phrase, supernatural healing, then we want to. If we don't experience, let's call it medical healing, what then? What about if we remain sick or injured? Um, Or those close to us do. Then we can say, because of the gospel, we can say, I don't understand. I, uh, I weep over it. But the gospel means that you can say, I know that because the resurrection is a physical, historical event, I know that God is at work restoring this world And that one day he's going to return in his resurrection body and I, if I'm united to him, will receive my own new resurrection body. And it will run and sprint and jump and sing and shout and laugh and work wonderfully and perfectly. Like I say, I'm aware that just to mention very briefly things like sex, eating, sickness, exercise, they are some of those quite profound things. I will try and mention some extra resources in the life group notes this week but the bottom line is this if you heard nothing else this morning hear this Christianity is good news in many ways and it's good news for these human bodies because our culture would mainly at the moment tell us that these things are everything and sometimes we also hear a message that they're kind of nothing and Christianity says no 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 they're neither nothing nor everything they are a precious precious gift given at great cost by one who loves you who adores you and if if through faith you're united to him as a Christian he promises to give you a brand new human body one day that you will enjoy and running and singing and laughing forever so do you see the human body as a gift and how do you intend to nurture it and steward it and use it and enjoy it and give it away those are my questions I guess Jamie, can you come and help us to continue to respond in singing and in worship? Um, sometimes I'm aware that I can touch on things, and I feel like I've touched on some things this morning. So what I want to do is just, its just before we begin to sing and to worship, is just to give you some moments. Maybe, um, perhaps, Jamie, you could just play lightly for us. Just to give you a few moments uh, in the quiet of your own heart and mind, just to begin to to talk to God, to respond to him in, the, in your heart? What's he been saying to you this morning? What would he have you, how would he have you see your body? How would he have you see other people's bodies? How would he have you treat them and use them? What does it mean to use this gift as a spiritual act of, of worship? I'm going to give you some moments, then I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll worship and see what else God says to us.